0: Before we go to the table of the Lord, I would like for you to give me just a few minutes of your undivided attention. Everyone get settled and seated as they're coming in, and please listen to me for just a few moments, because I want to talk to you about the importance of remembering, the importance of remembering. Let me just pray. Lord Jesus, give us your help today as we look at your word. So thankful that your word is a mirror that we hold up to our own souls. It's still the two-edged sword. We thank you, Lord, that there's truth in your word. We thank that your word is truth and that your word is life to us. So give us help, Lord, from the feebleness of my ability to communicate from me to the ears this morning. I ask, O oh God, that the Holy Spirit will do, Lord, will you do your work in our hearts today. Let us hear something from your word. Speak to our hearts today. And all God's people said, Amen. There's a lady that when I mention her name, and you're probably going to figure out who I'm talking about before I finish describing her, she was born in the late 1800s. We've heard about her, we've read about her, and she was a Dutch watchmaker and Christian who, along with her father and other family members, helped uh, many Jews escape the Nazi Holocaust in World War II. How many already know who I'm talking about? She was imprisoned for her actions, and her most famous book, The Hiding Place, describes the The whole ordeal, as well as her life, and her name was Corey Tinboom. When Dr. David Jeremiah was writing about giants of the faith, he included this incredible story about Corey Tinboom, and I'm glad many of you know about her. If not, you should read her book, *The Hiding Place*. It's extremely inspirational. But Dr. Jeremiah, speaking of giants of the faith, when he put her obviously in that category, he said this: He said Corey Tinboom became a Christian. And for three decades, she preached the gospel all over the world. Her story of forgiveness is amazing in teaching us how we can forgive. One day, Corey was preaching in Munich, Germany, many years after being in the concentration camp. In the church she was preaching, there was a familiar face that she she spotted in the crowd. It was the guard who would mock her and her sister, and eventually he would send her sister Betsy to her death. So while Corey is preaching on a Sunday in Munich, she looks out, and there is this guard who sentenced her sister to death. She knew the voice. She knew the look. And the story goes on like this. She recognized him, though he did not recognize her. But he did come to her afterward, and he said, Fraulein, I heard you mention Ravensbrück, and that's the concentration camp. He said, I was a guard there, but since those days, I have become a Christian, and I know that God has forgiven me. Then he looked at her and he said, but I must ask you, will you forgive me? And Corey said, I stood there paralyzed. This man is a monster, she thought. He had filled her with shame and misery every day, and then her thought was this, and he killed my sister, Betsy. How can she preach forgiveness while she is staring into the face of the very one that she needs to forgive? And she doesn't have the power to forgive him. She said she did the only thing she knew how to do. She prayed right there on the spot. And I want you to listen to this prayer that she prayed. Here's what she prayed. She said, forgive me, Father, for the inability to forgive. And she said, immediately, something happened to me. This power surged through me, she said. She felt her hand go out, clasp his hand. She looked him right in the eye, and then she said, Sir, you are forgiven. The man was set free, but she said even more, On that day, I was set free. How do you do that, church? How do you forgive someone like that? I, you know, I certainly hope that most of us in this room would never come to that degree of an offense. But regardless of the offense, how, how do you forgive? How do you do that? What happened to Corey? What, what was in her that gave her the strength to forgive the man responsible for her own sister's death? Well, here's what I'd like to do this morning with you. If you give me just a few minutes. We're going to read a parable from Matthew chapter 18, but before we do, I would like to establish a sort of a what I'm calling a a, a subtext from the Gospel of Luke. Um, to me, it's it's what I'm using as a frame for our parable from Matthew. I'm endeavoring to use this subtext. Uh, so that we can see what we really need to see from Matthew 18. So what I'd like to do is I want to hand you this frame, and I want you to hang on to it. And that's this frame is which, through which we're going to view our full text. The subtext is from Luke 7:47. We find Jesus saying these words about who the Bible, who the Bible refers to as a certain immoral woman. It might help you to remember her as the woman who anointed the feet of Jesus with oil from her alabaster box. I'm sure you remember that. Jesus said of her in Luke 7, 47, I tell you, her sins, and they are many, have been forgiven. So she has shown me much love, but a person who is forgiven little shows only little love. That's the frame we're going to use. I'm handing it to you. I want you to hang on to it because I'm going to need it back in just a minute, all right? Meaning, it's the structure through which I want us to view the parable that we're going to read from Matthew. So, forgiven much, love much. Forgiven little, love little. I want you to repeat that. Forgiven much, love much. Forgiven little, you got to do better than that. Come on. Forgiven much. Now, hang on to that. We're going to need it. With that in mind, I take you to our text this morning. It's one of the most important and potent parables that we ever hear from Jesus, and I think you will obviously, you should obviously observe the juxtaposition of our text and our subtext today. And in so doing, I'm praying and have been praying all week that we may discover a challenge for our own heart. My heart has certainly been challenged. Matthew 18, I'm starting in verse 21. Then Peter came to him and asked, Lord, how often should I forgive someone who sins against me? Seven times? No, no, not seven times, Jesus replied, but 70 times seven. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven can be compared to a king who decided to bring his accounts up to date with servants who had borrowed money from him. In the process, one of his debtors was brought in who owed him millions of dollars. We're going to talk about that in detail in a moment. He couldn't pay, so his master ordered that he be sold along with his wife, his children, and everything he owned to pay the debt. But the man fell down before his master and he begged him, please be patient with me and I will pay it all. Then his master was filled with pity for him, and he released him, and he forgave his debt. But when the man left the king, he went to a fellow servant who then owed him a few thousand dollars. He grabbed him by the throat, and he demanded instant payment. But his fellow servant fell down before him, and he begged for a little more time, oh, please be patient with me, and I will pay it, he pleaded. But his creditor wouldn't wait. He had the man arrested and put in prison until the debt could be paid in full. When some of the other servants saw this, they were very upset. They went to the king and told him everything that had happened. That would be me, that would be some of you, right? We would go tell the king what happened. And then the king called in the man and he had forgiven. And he said, you evil servant, I forgave you that tremendous debt because you pleaded with me. Shouldn't you have mercy on your fellow servant just as I had mercy on you? And then the angry king sent the man to prison to be tortured until he had paid his entire debt. Jesus finishes the parable by saying, that's what my heavenly father will do to you if you refuse to forgive your brothers and sisters from your heart. How many think we should end the service right now and not go on any further? I bet some of you are thinking, I knew I shouldn't have come to church today. This is the day I should not have come. Okay, you still have that frame? You got it? Are you with me this morning? Or are the clouds outside putting you to sleep? Come on, stay with me here. Hand me that frame back. I want you to listen to me. Because the confusing part for me is to take the story that we have just read and contrast it to the words of Jesus in our subtext where he said, Forgiven much, forgiven little. Well, because the man in our parable was forgiven so much. But when it came time for him to forgive or for him to show love, he didn't do it at all. And I thought Jesus said, if you have been forgiven much, you will love much. Somehow it didn't seem to work in this situation in our parable. In fact, this man is what we could refer to as the unforgiving forgiven. The unforgiving forgiven. Forgiven. He's the man who's not going to forgive his friend, his fellow servant, but he had chosen to receive the forgiveness of the king. He says, I'll take what you give me, king, but I'm not willing to offer that to anyone else. I'll take forgiveness, but I'm not going to give forgiveness. Now, let's just be clear about it. This man was forgiven a a massive debt, huge debt, but he couldn't forgive A simple debt. Well, surely by now you see the parable because this is the Christian life. You and I have been forgiven a massive debt called sin. But don't you know that every day, as a forgiven sinner, as a forgiven person, we must become forgivers of others. And I'm asking you for just a moment to think about the massive debt of which you have been forgiven. I'm bringing it right face to face in front of you today. And I'm doing it with intentionality. And I'm doing it on purpose right before we go to the table of the Lord. You and I have been forgiven a massive debt of sin. And when we really remember the massive debt which we have been forgiven, it will change us. You're not hearing me this morning. We won't come to church the same way when we remember how much we've been forgiven of. We won't worship the same way. We won't act the same way outside of church. Did you know that's true? When you come to church on Sunday morning and when you remember how much you have been forgiven, nobody has to tell you to lift your hands in worship. Nobody will have to tell you to lift your your voice in song when you remember that you have been forgiven a massive debt of sin. In fact... Let me put it to you this way. This is a basic principle of Christian living that I so dynamically believe in, and it's this. Oh, listen to me, church. When God moves upon your heart, there is or there should be an automatic and instinctive response to that move of God on your heart. So often we just sit. Lord, bless me, bless me. Let me feel your presence today. Move upon me. But when God moves upon our heart, and I know you know what it is to have God move upon your heart, there should be an automatic and instinctive response, and that response is worship. And let me go take it a step further. The specific form of worship to offer when God moves upon your heart is to give. Boy, that got quiet. Give an offering. Money? Possibly. Praise? Oh, most assuredly. But what about an offering of forgiveness? What about an offering of forgiveness? Bethesda, let me say it clearly. We have been forgiven. We have been forgiven. We have been forgiven. So here's an idea look like it, respond like it, act like it. Live like it. I I hate to tell you this, but not all of us look like we've been forgiven. Some of you look like you walked in here today out of routine. Not like the one who's been forgiven of a huge debt of sin. Look like we've been forgiven. Not always do we act like we've been forgiven, and many times we do not live like we have been forgiven. Can I just ask you, when you think, first of all, when was the last time you thought about it? When you think about how God has forgiven you, can I just ask, how can you not worship Him? How can you not, when you think of what Jesus has forgiven you of, how can you not praise Him when you think of what He's forgiven you? How can you not stand to your feet? Oh, when I think about the Lord and how He saved me, how He's raised me, how He's filled me with the Holy Ghost, how He has healed me to the uttermost, when I think about the Lord, how He picked me up out of the squalor that I was in, Oh I wish somebody listened to me this morning. Turn me around and set your feet on solid ground. It makes me want to do something. It makes me want to shout. Hallelujah. Thank you Jesus. As the choir is saying because you're worthy of all the glory, you're worthy of all the honor, you're worthy of all the praise. But the man in our story this morning had forgotten He'd forgotten. And this is where he was. And keep this in mind in that day and time, it was included in what we read in our text, but let me just uh, focus on it for a second. If you couldn't pay your debt, whomever you owed, they had the right to confiscate not only your property, but your children, and to sell them into slavery for at least six years. If you couldn't pay your debt. So the king was about to put one man in jail. Confiscate his entire family, all of his belongings, and use the proceeds of that to just begin to pay the debt that was owed. But the king did not do that. He forgave the man's debt. And you would think that after receiving that level of forgiveness, he would then have become a massive forgiver himself. Or to be a bit more pointed about it, he was expected to do what the king had done for him. Expected to do what the king had done for him. I doubt there is anything more hurtful to the heart of God than for us to receive something from the king and never give in measure to that which we have received. Now, I want to take just a minute because so I think it's important to our understanding as I head somewhere in a second. I want us to gain some understanding of the difference between the two debts that are in our parable. Now, various versions of Scripture express it in different ways. The version that we read from today tells us that the, the first, there's a king, there's the first dude, and there's a the second dude, okay? King, debtor one, debtor two. And what... The, the version we read today said, said that this first guy owed the king millions of dollars but would not forgive the thousands of dollars owed him by guy number two. Most other versions will present it this way. The first man owed the, owed the king 10,000 talents. Say that. While he was owed by his fellow servant 100 denarii. Now, I think we get the point either way. We see the difference, but I I just want to let you see the magnitude. I I want to be sure we've not just glossed over the difference in these two debts that we really understand. Let me show you what I've discovered in understanding the difference between talents and denarii. The first man was forgiven by the king of 10,000 talents. Now, follow me here and get this. Put your math brain on. The rest of you just do the best you can, okay? One talent is the same value as 15 years of your annual salary. One talent. So 15 years of your annual salary. For the sake of our conversation, let's use an annual salary of $50,000. So since the man owed 10,000 talents to get to the number, what the real debt is, the bottom line, You take 10,000 times your annual salary times 15. So if we just take today's numbers and run the math, you get a number that is over 7 billion with a B, 7 billion dollars. And the king goes, he sees that debt, he looks at it and he goes, free and clear. How many of you would be dancing out of the sanctuary if you had just been forgiven of $7 billion? How many of you would be dancing out of the sanctuary if someone just paid off your credit card bill today? Jehovah-Jireh, there is a God. I can see you doing it. Turn that camera off, by the way. We will be editing out that little last thing that happened. And for those of you who are watching online, I really apologize. Really sorry. 10,000 talents, which means over $7 billion. And then, now listen to me. Follow me. We have to convert that, instead of a dollar amount, into days. The value of, of, of days. Because that's what we have to do with, that's what we have with denarii. To convert it. You're taking... If you're converting the $7 billion, that becomes 60 million days of labor that you've given. 60 million. I'm going tired already. 60 million days. How he ran up that debt, who knows? How you ran up your debt, who knows? And the king said, It's all done. Now, dude number one is about to encounter dude number two, or debtor one, if you like that better, is about to encounter debtor number two. And debtor two says in verse 29, oh, please forgive me. For this man owed the first man a 100 silver coins or denarii. Talent is a year wage. Denarii is a day wage. So just to compare what we're looking at here, we're dealing with 60 million days as opposed to 100 days. Do you see a difference? I know we're not all mathematicians in the room, but surely you see the difference in 60 million to 100. Now, here's what I find so interesting. Both of them said the same thing. When they were speaking to their respective creditors, they both said, the first guy fell on his knees, begged the master, please be patient with me and I will repay it all. That's what he said. Second guy, he fell on his knees, he begged his master, please be patient with me and I will repay it all. Don't you wonder, as you read this, don't you wonder when the second guy is talking to the first guy and and, and he's falling on his knees and he's begging and he's using the same verbiage, Please be patient with me and I'll pay it Don't you wonder if all that did not remind him of what he had just said to his master? Wouldn't you have thought? And instead of taking the opportunity to act like his master, instead of taking the opportunity to conduct himself as his king had conducted himself toward him, he just looked at the guy who owed him the hundred denarii and he said, nope, unforgiven. Go to jail. Wow. I would never do that. Or would I? You would never do that. Or would you? It's quiet in here. I'll talk real soft. Could this sort of thing still happen today? Could one of us possibly... Be given 60 million days, metaphorically or whatever. Be forgiven of 60 million days and yet won't forgive another man or woman of 100 days. How does that happen? I'm glad you asked because I've got an answer for you. How does that happen? How can someone... You get it. It all depends. Listen to me. It all depends on how you see your forgiveness. That's what it depends upon. How you see your forgiveness. Listen, church, we are all faced with moments to act like the king did in our story. To extend forgiveness when we have the full right to call in the debt. And I want us to be careful to not limit the impact of this principle to simply money. Because it could be for some... But for others, it could have other implications. It, it may be that someone who took from you, uh, and it took advantage of you financially. Maybe it's someone who stole years from you emotionally. Maybe it's for some, from someone who, who stole your spiritual trust. Maybe someone took your reputation, or your dignity, or your virginity. It could be anything that someone has taken from you, or violated you. And now you're faced with this moment, almost a fork in the road, where you must make a decision. Will I conduct myself like the king? Or will I conduct myself like the servant who wouldn't forgive the guy who owed him? And it all depends. Listen to me. Listen, listen. It all depends on how you see your forgiveness. Essentially, we've got two stories that, though very similar, they play out in two completely different directions. I often tell you, you know, this could have played out another way. They played out in two different two different ways when the person really has forgiveness in their control. The king showed mercy. The unforgiving forgiven refused. So now let's take all of this and try to put it in the frame of our subtext from Luke seven forty seven. Hopefully you still got the frame. Because probably like you, I'm asking, why didn't this man, the first guy, why didn't he love much if he was forgiven so much? Why? Why wouldn't he forgive when he surely had accepted the forgiveness of much greater value from the one he owed? Let me bring you back to the frame, subtext here, Luke seven forty-seven. I tell you, her sins, and they are many, have been forgiven, so she has shown me much love. But a person who is forgiven little shows only little love. It seems as though Jesus is giving us two very clear categories here. Those who've been forgiven much and those who've been forgiven little. I'm not going to do it, but if I were to ask for a show of hands, I wonder how many would indicate, you can answer in the quiet of your own heart. How many of you would indicate that you have been forgiven much. If that's true, just nod your head real easy at me. Been forgiven much. And then I wonder how many would say, would dare to say in the room today that they've really been forgiven little. Don't respond. I don't even want to see it. I don't even want to see it. They've been forgiven little. Here's the truth. Every one of us have been forgiven much. I don't care how good a girl you think you are. I don't care what a princess you were, I don't care what a fine young man you were, mom and dad probably proud of you, that's terrific, but still so, dear friend, you have been forgiven much. Every one of us have been forgiven of 10,000 talents, every one of us have been forgiven of 60 million days that we offended and hurt the heart of God. So the issue is not which category you think you're in here, because there's really only one category, forgiven little, forgiven much. The issue is how much you have been willing to remember and remind yourself of how much Jesus has forgiven you. And the problem is this, when you don't think you've been forgiven of much, then you won't forgive anybody else. In fact, let me kind of take that same sentence. If you're not forgiving other people, probably it's an indication you don't think you've been forgiven of much. When you forget the magnitude of how much you've been forgiven, then you hold back your forgiveness to others. When you've forgotten the 60 million day pardon, then you won't give anyone the 100 denarii offense pardon. And no matter the extent of the offense, from someone who just simply didn't speak to you when you came into church today, all the way to an offense of of abuse in your past, Yes, we all, we all have things happen to us every day that we're called upon to forgive. And I know, I know my heart is not insensitive today to some of the incredible hurts and offenses that so many of you are facing. But the point is this, listen to me, we have all been forgiven of so much. It's just that not all of us have realized it yet or recognized it yet. And when you can't remember how much God has forgiven you, then you will not act and resemble the one who has forgiven you of so much. Hear me. It's not what happened to you that determines whether or not you can forgive. It's how you view your forgiveness by God that will determine whether or not you'll forgive. It's not what the offense was. That has nothing to do with determining whether or not you will forgive. It's how you view forgiveness by God that will determine that. Mention Any offense that you want to bring up today, whatever it is, and the only way to counteract that is to remind yourself of how much God has forgiven you. Because if it was determined by a crucial event or a crushing event, sometimes we are tempted to think that the severity of the offense is the determining factor as to whether or not we can forgive. Pastor Dan, they violated my trust, they violated my personhood, they violated my reputation. It violated my family. Well, that's crossing the line. And then we decide how long we're going to hold on, how long we will take that offense, and how long that thing will then control us when the Bible shows us that it's not an issue of the offense. It's an issue of remembering how much God has forgiven you. The bread and the cup of which we are about to partake, Jesus said, Do this in remembrance of me. Do this in remembrance of me. Why do you think we do this so often? Why do you think that we have the time of communion? We do it every Sunday night. Why do you think it's important? And and, and the temptation for it to become rude is because you've lived a few more hours since then, since the last time. You've had a few more experiences. You've had a little more rub with the world, your world. You've had more opportunity for offense. And before that can build up any further, before any of that can happen, you come to the table of the Lord to remember what He has done for you. It's not what they did that affects me. It's what He did that changes the whole story for you and me. And I don't know about you, (laughs) But I've been forgiven of at least 60 million days of stuff. Anybody else with me today? At least 60 million days of sin and stuff that's in my mind and stuff that's in my heart and my motives and and actions that manifested and thoughts that didn't manifest but was still an offense to God because He knows even the secret parts of our heart. I understand there was a cartoon in a magazine some years ago it was somewhat interesting because the magazine was not a Christian magazine, but the cartoon was a, of the prodigal son. They were trying to be funny here. and The cartoon indicated that the father, you know the story, was coming, that the son was coming home, but the father was exasperated with him saying, this is the fourth fatted calf we've had to kill for you this week. How many know that feeling? Let me tell you, church, I don't know about you, but here's my thought. The father hasn't had to just kill four fatted calves for me. He's had to kill 4,000 fat fatted calves just in the last few days for me. And yet he welcomes me home as his child every single time. Thank God that his forgiveness never runs out because we serve an amazing king. I said we serve an amazing king. I said we serve an amazing king. But oh, how we need a revelation of how much we've been forgiven. Before we can ask for God's help to forgive somebody. And you know what I think, church? I think we pray the wrong prayer. I think we're very capable of praying the wrong prayer. We say, God, there's this person in my life, and this has happened, and I know I'm supposed to forgive as a Christian, and so God, strengthen me so that I can forgive that person. Give me the strength that I need to forgive them. And God goes, nope, wrong prayer. What you need to pray is this. You are confronted with that situation. God, remind me of how much I've been forgiven. God, remind me of how much I have been forgiven. Because if you think little, you will do little. A friend of mine reminds me that when people hold on to an offense, get this, When they hold on to an offense and they think little of their own forgiveness, here's what happens. And you know people like this. They will curse the offense. They will nurse the offense. And then they will rehearse the offense. Over and over and over. Every time you're with them, they're rehearsing the offense again. And it happened 40 years ago, 50 years ago, 20 years ago. They curse the offense. They nurse it. Something about that feels good to them to nurse the offense, and then they will rehearse the offense. But Jesus ends this whole parable in verse 30. But his creditor, the man who'd been given so much by the king, number one, he wouldn't wait. He had the man arrested that owed him money and put in prison until the debt could be paid in full. When some of the other servants saw this, they were very upset. They went to the king. I told him exactly what had happened. And then the king called in the man he had forgiven. He said, you evil servant, I forgave you that tremendous debt because you pleaded with me. Shouldn't you have mercy on your fellow servant just as I had mercy on you? I want you to think about this with me for just a minute. And This may not be easy for some to hear. I understand that. Not easy for me to deal with either. It was legal for him to call in that debt. He was within his rights to call in that debt. But sometimes, sometimes, God is not asking us to do the legal thing. Sometimes God is asking you to do the merciful thing. I have a right to take him to court. Yeah? I have a right to call in that debt. You do. You have no idea, Pastor Dan, what they did to me. You have no idea what they said about me. You have no idea what they posted about me. You may have all legal rights, but there are some moments, fellow Christians, that God isn't asking you to do what's legal. He's asking you to do what's merciful. And to be reminded of all that you have been forgiven of. Since I've already made you mad this morning, let me take it one step further. This is going to sound a little hard to some. This is going to anger some. My inbox will fill up, I'm sure. But here it is. I'm just looking to see. I can read your lips, you know. I just want you to know that. You cannot be an unforgiving Christian. You cannot be an unforgiving Christian. You don't have the option of being an unforgiving Christian. Sometimes I think we don't realize in our conversations how much our unforgiveness leaks out in our conversations. And I'm hoping that when we leave from this message today, we're saying, "God, give me fresh understanding, of, and help me see it where my heart is unforgiving." And it will most often, often happen when it has leaked out in your conversations. But the Bible clearly reminds us that if we've been forgiven, then we must forgive the same way that God has forgiven us. It's very clear in Ephesians chapter four: be kind to each other, tender-hearted, forgiving one another. Just as God through Christ has forgiven you. But you don't understand, Pastor, they're not even sorry for what they did. Dear one, their lack of repentance, their lack of sorrow does not determine whether or not you should forgive. Pastor Dan, they they don't even think they did anything wrong. That's just not right. They're not even feeling bad about it. They don't even acknowledge what they did to me. That still doesn't put them in the driver's seat that takes control out of your hands whether or not you will be a forgiving person. They don't get to determine that. They don't get to determine your freedom as one who forgives. Let me tell you what this is called. I have a name for it it's called Calvary forgiveness. Calvary forgiveness because when Jesus is hanging on the cross and men are pounding nails into his hand and forcing a crown of thorns upon his head and taking his robe and ripping it apart and gambling over and sneering and mocking and making fun, he prayed an amazing prayer when he said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. Now listen to me. Not one of them was asking for forgiveness. Not one of them was showing signs of repentance. Not one of them was even heartbroken over what they had done. But Jesus shows us by example. It doesn't matter how they feel about what they've done. You must protect your own heart and say, I forgive you. Whether you think you need it, deserve it, or want it, it doesn't matter. Because I'm going to be free of this thing in the name of Jesus. I'm almost done. I think most Christians still have such a wrong understanding of forgiveness. It's very easy to have a wrong understanding. Listen, forgiveness is not conceding that they were right and you were wrong. Many people think, well, if I forgive them, that means I'm saying they were right and I'm wrong. Nope. That's that's not what forgiveness is. Listen, forgiveness is me giving up the right to hurt you for hurting me. You want to hear that again? Forgiveness is me giving up the right to hurt you for hurting me. I'm giving up that right. Forgiveness is taking my hand off the trigger. Forgiveness... Is taking my hand off of any weapon that I might use against you, the weapon of silence, the weapon of ignoring, or the weapon of just no longer talking. It's me giving up the right to that, me giving up the right to hurt you for hurting me. And how do you do that? Because isn't that counterintuitive to our very nature? How do you do that? There's one way, dear friend, by remembering this, that you serve a king that has forgiven you of 10,000 talents. It's not what the other person has done to me. It's what my king has done for me. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Bow your heads in prayer with me, please, for just a moment.